Who is the greatest? It's a common question in our culture, isn't it? We spend a lot of time discussing the goats of various areas of our life. It's really common in the world of sports. If you watch any sports programming, talk show, listen to it on the radio, inevitably throughout the week, there is a discussion about the goat of a given profession in the world of sports. This week, it was top of mind for me because my favorite tennis player, Roger Federer, announced his retirement. I grew up playing tennis. I love tennis. I love to watch tennis. The past 20 years have been dominated primarily by three tennis players, Roger, Rafa Nadal, and Novak Djokovic. And now Roger's kind of on his way out. Rafa's not that far behind him. I think Joker's got a few more years in him, but we're all having this discussion right now as Roger retires about who's the greatest. Rafa has the most grand slams. Joker will probably catch him quickly. Roger may not have the most grand slams anymore, but I've never seen more beautiful tennis than the tennis I saw Roger play. In my opinion, he is the greatest. But that's up for debate, right? Because the very question itself is in the eye of the beholder. It's a, a bit subjective in reality. But we're not going to stop a- asking it, right? We're going to keep on debating because we are interested in greatness. As human beings, we are interested in and being the best, or at least being associated with the best, in the hopes that their bestness rubs off on us so we can be better. There's something innate within us and our human nature to try to be better than those around us and grab to anything that will help us be better and find our value, our self-value in that. We become defined by it. And that's why what may be an innocent and fun game in the world of sports becomes dangerous and toxic when that question enters into the discourse of the people of God. Because we're not working for our glory. We're not climbing for our greatness. We are working for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope it has become clear in our study of Matthew's gospel that Jesus alone is the greatest in God's kingdom and no one comes close. There's no debate. And we must be on guard to not let it become a debate in our church. That's the thrust of Matthew's message that he records from Jesus in chapter 18 of his gospel. Jesus has been warning us about outside threats to the kingdom work, outside threats to his people, but now he turns that warning internally. Yes, there are forces at work outside of the church to try to bring about its destruction and stop its work to advance the kingdom and the gospel. But do you also know that the enemy can use people on the inside for his divisive purposes? And Jesus wants to encourage us today to be on guard through this important conversation that Matthew records in the 18th chapter of his gospel, the first part of which we will look at today. And here's what ultimately Jesus wants us to see about true greatness in his kingdom. How can you be called great in the kingdom of God? Jesus says, the truly great in the kingdom of heaven are the humble, the humble, who lead people to faithfulness, who lead others toward faithfulness and away from danger. 
The truly great are those who become like Jesus, who love Jesus and consider others greater than themselves. If we are to be a part of this people, of this kingdom people that Jesus is building, if we are to be a part of a people who are ultimately committed to the ultimate greatness of Christ, we must be humble. And we must, we must seek to lead others to be like, to Jesus and to be like Jesus. Because the truly great in God's kingdom are servants who seek to serve rather than to be served. Let's see how Jesus challenges us, warns us in this this morning, the first 14 verses of Matthew 18. And here's what the word of God says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and, and go in search of the one that went away? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So the disciples come to Jesus with a question, a question that is misguided at best, they know that Jesus is building an incredible kingdom. They know that he is going to be a glorious king. And they want to know who is going to be considered the greatest in this great kingdom. In Mark's account of this discussion in his gospel, chapter 9, they're arguing amongst themselves. Who's going to be the greatest among the disciples? And their question reveals their hope. They want traditional power. They want earthly power. They want to have the upper hand on those who have been oppressing them so that they, they now can turn around and oppress their oppressors. They want to be given authority to exert authority and thereby make themselves great. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize this mentality in our own minds. It's our natural mindset. We can't look down upon these disciples because all of us have approached life at one time or another in much the same way. We want to be great in the way that the world defines greatness. We want to be successful. We want to be beautiful. We want to be comfortable. We want to be in control so that we can stand out among 
others. But I think we have to recognize the difficulty of that, the the emptiness of that. We are attracted to power, earthly power, in the hope of grasping that power, even though it is fleeting. But greatness in God's kingdom looks very different. Jesus is building a different kind of kingdom and looking for a different kind of people. We cannot judge greatness by earthly standards because those standards are affected by sin. They're influenced by our brokenness. The kingdom of this world reflects a standard that pits us against one another for the sake of our own glory. Jesus is calling us in his kingdom to be united for his glory. In Jesus' kingdom, greatness looks different. It's an upside-down kingdom, as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. The way up is down, and the way down is up. God desires humble people who love him and love others. Humble people who lead others toward faithfulness, toward Christ's likeness, and away from destruction. Let's see how Jesus communicates what greatness looks like in this kingdom, how he, he encourages us to consider some kingdom values that we should embrace as his people for his glory. Firstly, truly great people are humble people in the kingdom of God. We see Jesus teach this in verses three to six. When the disciples ask Jesus, who's the greatest? Who does Jesus bring? as evidence or an example of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He brings before them a child. It says, the one who is like this child is great in my kingdom. And this is a shocking statement. It is shocking on purpose. In these days, children were not held in high esteem. Parents didn't build their lives around their kids like we do sometimes today because children couldn't offer much. They couldn't work. They couldn't provide. They were weak, powerless, dependent. Everything that men rely upon to get ahead in this life, education, strength, these children did not, do not have. And Jesus says, in order to be truly great in my kingdom, you must become like one of these children, children that need help, children that need their father or mother to provide for them. In order to be great, we must have the humility to recognize what we cannot do on our own, that we are in great need, and that we need the help of a heavenly father to do what only he can do in our lives. The greatest is not the one who is able to accomplish these things in his own strength. The greatest is the one who recognizes that it is only through God that anything the strength of God, that anything of true significance can take place. This is the way that we enter into the kingdom of God, and it must be the way that we remain in the kingdom of God. Remember, friend, there's nothing that you can do in your own strength to offer your salvation. We are broken, sinful people with a future of guaranteed destruction because of the way that we had all rebelled against God and what we could not do in our own strength, what we could not do to author our own salvation. Christ, God has sent his son to allow and to engage Christ for our benefit. What we could not do, Christ has done. And we must remember that 
even as we enter into the kingdom of God, the same humility that is required of us to say, I cannot save myself. I need you, Jesus, to save me. That same humility that allows us to enter into the kingdom of God must be characteristic of our citizenship within the kingdom of God. The truly great are humble. More than that, Jesus says, the truly great are people who lead others into faithfulness. We see this in verses five to nine. And these are some strong words from Jesus. They're startling. The children analogy sort of takes a turn as Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's telling them that they not only need to think of themselves in a childlike way, as leaders of the kingdom, they have to think of other people as children as well because there are some around them that are weaker in their faith journey. And as more mature brothers or sisters amongst us today, we have a responsibility to those who are weaker in the faith. Yes, we must have the posture of children, humble and trusting, but we must also recognize the responsibility we have to others who are just now entering the faith, the children of our kingdom. He says to the disciples, you need to receive these children and teach them Teach them the way of the kingdom. Help them to understand the true nature of pleasing and glorifying God by helping them become like me. You need to, by your words and your actions, make sure they know what true greatness is in my kingdom to lead them into faithfulness. Don't reinforce the wisdom of this world. Don't reject these children for the sake of the powerful. Don't lead the people of God to rely on old methods of pleasing God or things that pull people away from God. Help them to be fashioned into the image of Jesus. Help them to know what honors the Lord. Help them to know how to live out the ethic of humility that I expect of my people. Because if you don't, judgment awaits. Look at verses seven to nine again. Woe to the world. It's a statement of judgment over the world because of its brokenness. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. It's necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. You will be judged. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better to enter, enter life without a foot or a hand or an eye than be thrown into eternal fire, the hell of fire. It would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a very large stone around your neck than to cause to lead one of these younger in the faith into a place of stumbling. It's a reminder to us, church family, that God takes the care of his children very seriously. And we must also take care seriously the care of the people of God, so much so that we would be willing to remove a limb from our body or a, a limb from our larger body if it was causing offense. Truly great people lead others toward faithfulness. And then finally, Jesus says, truly great people are people who lead others away from danger. Truly great, my kingdom are humble people who lead others toward faithfulness and away from danger. Verses 10 to 14. The point is kind of a continuation of the last point. 
the great recognize their responsibility to set the example for the flock and to run after those who are leaving the flock, who are wandering away from faithfulness and Christ's likeness. Imagine you're a shepherd. Imagine you have 100 sheep. They're sitting there grazing, and all of a sudden you notice one wandering away. What do you do in that instance? Do you say, you know what? That's a crazy sheep anyway. That sheep has wandered off more times than I can imagine. I'm just gonna stick with the 99. There's a cliff over there. Who cares? Let him fall off the cliff. That's what he deserves. Is that the way that we think about the people of God, the very people that Christ died for? No, Jesus says if we're going to be great in his kingdom, shepherds of his flock, we are to go after that lamb. There may be a tendency to consider someone not worth the effort. They can't offer us anything. It'd be a waste of our time going after them. But consider what Christ is saying here. There's not a single person in God's kingdom that is not worthy of pursuing. God does not think little of them. In fact, he has angels working to protect all of his people. And if they can behold the glory of God and still find time to go after those who are wandering away to offer them protection, we must have the same mind as well. We should make time for each other. We should long and love one another enough to pursue. The enemy wants us to be separated. He's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But we want our brothers and sisters to remain faithful because that's what God wants. So when we see one of them wandering from the the faith, we must go after them for their good. That's what truly great people do in the kingdom of God as they consider others to be more than themselves. Now let's move a little closer to home this morning, okay? Let's get very practical. How do these kingdom values or how should these kingdom values show up at Bayleaf Baptist Church, right here on Possum Track Road. How should these values affect us as a people? I wanna look at three effects in the life of our church that I think should be evident if we are pursuing true greatness as Jesus defines it. Effect number one, we must, should, will, and trust authority to people who are truly great. Great by Jesus's standard. Great in the kingdom sense, qualified by scripture. I think, unfortunately, many churches today have allowed people to move into positions of power, leadership, influence because of how they are qualified according to earthly standards. So we'll let people who are influential in society or successful in their business who are, or who are socially gifted step into roles as deacons, teachers, committee members, pastors, without any true regard to their biblical qualifications. Church, the question we must ask every time we entrust leadership to someone is this. Are they great according to God's standard? Are they approved by God more than they are approved by man? Because God's approval matters a whole lot more. In my own life, I've seen this. A church I worked in, in college, that was larger than our own church here. This day, 20 years later, no longer exists. 
dissolved. The church I grew up in split in a nasty split. And as I think about both of those churches now, as I, as I prayerfully and with help lead in this church, I, I think about what went wrong and, and what could have prevented those things. I, I honestly, honestly believe a large issue in both cases was a history of entrusting leadership to people who were not truly approved by God, who were more concerned about their own agenda than God's agenda. People who wanted control and power in a traditional sense, who were given it because of earthly success. And I ask, where was the humility in these men and women when it counted? Where was the sensitivity to the spirit to promote unity? They tried to force their way through brute strength and power plays, secret meetings behind the scenes rather than dependence upon the spirit and the word. And God removed their lampstands. Oh, friends, let us be careful to not make the same mistakes. Let me challenge you, church family, this morning. When you are asked to vote on pastors and nominate deacons, when you are asked to vote on people to serve on our committees or ministry teams in the future, look to the Bible as your standard and rest in the mystery of godliness as the test. Who is God raising up amongst us? Who is humble, dedicated to the work of making disciples, leading people to faithfulness and away from danger? These are the men and women that we should place in positions of influence. Moreover, when you are entrusted with authority or leadership, when you're nominated or asked to teach or serve in a committee or, or serve in a, a Sunday school room, commit yourself to serve as a child with complete dependence upon the Father, recognizing if there's anything of worth in you to give back to this body and to give to the Lord, it's because he gave it to you. Let us be a humble people, church. The second thing that we'll do is we'll take great care to walk in blamelessness. We know the effect that our lives can have on the lives of others, both inside the church and outside the church. So let us commit to do everything that we can to walk in blamelessness. And here's, what, here's how I've heard blamelessness defined. If everyone knew everything about your life, even though you weren't perfect, they would still follow you. They would still walk alongside you. Let's seek that. Let's seek to be like Christ and lead others to be like Christ. In fact, Jesus says that if there is a body part that is causing us to stumble and lead others to stumble, we should call, cut it off. We should get it out. Get your... Get your knives out, cut off your arm, cut out your eye. Now, this is all hyperbole. Don't do this too quickly, okay? What is Christ saying in all of this? The point being that, that we should be vigilant in our pursuit of faithfulness and do everything we can to remain faithful as a people, even if that means removing something or someone from our life or removing someone from our fellowship. We'll talk more about that next week. 
The call, church family, is to be spiritually self-aware. Is there a place in your life where you are in danger of becoming a stumbling block, a rock of offense? It's to be self-aware or to be communally aware as a church. Is there a place corporately that we are in danger of becoming a stumbling block? And for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the church, for the sake of the children around us, will we be faithful in our action to remain faithful? If we're pursuing true greatness, we will. And the third thing, the third effect that we should see in our church is that we will go after the lost and the wondering. We will go after the lost in an evangelistic sense, yes, of course, but the context seems here, Jesus seems to be speaking in particular here about the family of God and those who are apart but are wondering. When we see, when we see a sheep wandering out of the fold, will we go after them? We should, because we want them to remain faithful. There's a conviction that everyone in God's family is worthy of our attention. Now let me just say, it's a word of testimony that this is hard sometimes because some sheep don't know that they're lost or wondering. Some sheep don't want to be found. They like the, the grass they're eating away from the church. And if you approach them, they may bite. But church, do we love our brothers and sisters enough to go after them anyway? Do we love our brothers and sisters enough to challenge them, to have hard conversations with them? Even if they're uncomfortable at first. Listen, I've heard it said that, that most church members today would rather have lawyers than pastors. Meaning they would, have, they would rather have someone just simply advocate for what they already believe than to have someone challenge them at times according to the standard of God's word. But I want you to hear me this morning. That's not the work of ministry. The work of ministry is to help all of us be shaped according to the standard of God's word to help all of us and the power of the spirit look more like Jesus. And all of us, if we have a gospel understanding, recognize that we have not arrived there yet. And so there must be places in our life that don't look like Christ and that it is God's grace to us when either through the word or through the mouth of a brother or sister who loves us, that those places of not Christ-likeness are made aware. Will we engage in this work? Let me challenge you, church family. Be committed to caring for one another. And do it because of your love for Jesus. That's what Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Will you do that? Will you be open to having and receiving conversations 
Conversations that are not easy, but necessary. Listen, if someone wants to meet with you and they share something out of love and conviction with you, would you hear them and see if the Lord is in it? Because you may be wondering, and this may be a moment of God's grace. Church, let's commit to being great according to God's standard. And I know that if we do, if we make Jesus the focus of all that we do, if we are committed to his glory above everything else, he will do great things through us. Let us be a humble people. Let us be a faithful people who point one another toward faithfulness. And let us be a committed people to each other, rescuing, leading each other away from those dangers that could lead to our destruction and see what God does. What a light to the kingdom we would be if we were a humble people who evidenced our love for Jesus and our love for each other by leading each other toward faithfulness and away from danger. How can we respond this morning? Let's think about personally how we can offer some response to the Lord, and then also corporately. Firstly, let me ask you this question. Do you know Jesus? It is true that this passage is primarily written to those who are following Jesus, but there are some warnings in here for those who are not following Jesus. There are some warnings for people in here who are masquerading as a sheep, even though they are not sheep. Friends, there is a a future of eternal destruction For anyone who is not in Christ, have you committed your life to Jesus through repentance and belief? Confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved. This morning that salvation is available to you. And maybe you feel the spirit moving in your heart. Maybe you see your eyes opening to see more of who Christ is and you wanna give your life to him. You wanna walk in humility and faithfulness for the glory of God. We would love to pray with you and encourage you this morning. We'll have some pastors up here in just a minute. We'll also have some members and ministers down at the Discover Bailey Station after the service. Give us, allow us the joy of praying with you if you do not know Jesus and yet you feel yourself being moved to Jesus today. For the rest of us who are in Christ, let me ask you some questions individually. Are you living and walking according to the standard of God? Are you desiring greatness according to Christ's standard of greatness? Are there places in your heart where you're still longing for earthly, traditional power, earthly traditional greatness. Remember, this world is passing away. Its end is destruction. But there is life abundant and eternal in Jesus. Pursue the greatness that he alone can provide in humility and becoming like Jesus. As a church, let me challenge us. Are we committed to humble servant leadership? 
Are we committed to living blameless lives? And are we loving our brothers and sisters well? Let me ask you a question. Are you known here? Do people know you? I mean, like really know you? Do you know others? Well, I think one of our greatest fears as human beings is to be fully known and not loved. But I hope you know the promise of the gospel that God knows everything about you, the worst parts of your life. And he loved you so much he sent his son to save you. He made a way for those things to be covered. And you will find the exact same kind of love in this body if you'll give us a chance. You'll find the exact same grace on display if you'll give us a chance to know you, really know you. What a marvel to be a part of a people who would hear these things and yet still love and accept you as a testament of their love for God. That happens here. It should happen more. Are you known? And are you allowing people to be known by you? That's the only way this thing works. We're created for fellowship because we're created in the image of God. We need each other. Look around this room. You are God's provision to each other to help remind you of the greatness of Christ, to point you toward faithfulness, and to help rescue you when you start wandering off toward destruction. You need each other. Let's really engage in this. And if you'd say, Jared, I've been coming. I'm not known. I want to be known. I need a deeper level of fellowship. Come talk to us after the service. Come to the Discover Bailey Station. We'd love to get connected to a group, to a group of men and women who are as committed as you are to glorifying Christ and everything that they do. The enemy's out to destroy. Take advantage of the provision God has given you in this body. Let us be committed to true greatness, Bayleaf Baptist Church. Let's heed the word of Jesus, resist the temptation of the devil, and commit everything we have to the greatness of Christ. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to the preaching of God's word. For those of you who do not know Jesus, oh, would you humble yourself today and recognize that there's no way you could save yourself. But everything you need for salvation has been provided in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are in Christ, let's remember that the same posture that gets us into the kingdom must be true as citizens of the kingdom. We are to be a humble people who love Jesus above all and love each other more than ourselves. Would that be true of us? As we seek to help others become more like Jesus and to be rescued from danger, in this beautiful community God has given to us. Father, would you help us know how to respond today? May we be more, a more faithful people because of our time and worship before your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. 
For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.